Colossians chapter 3. And as you do, I'm going to intentionally start this way. I have an unauthorized illustration. My son Alec is manipulating me. All right. No, no, we've known for a while. The, my son Alec is manipulating me. If you, if you don't know, when I announce that there's an unauthorized illustration, that's a signal that my family, their ears perk up because it means I'm about to share something about our home that I haven't asked for their permission for. When I specifically say that my son Alec, all of a sudden everybody knows who is in the hot seat. But he is manipulating me. He's manipulating me because he's using something that I enjoy to bring me into something that he enjoys. He has me watching a documentary, a docuseries on Netflix called Full Swing. And I think that it's because he wants me to be a part of the golf scramble that's coming up in a couple of weeks for the church. Now, I'm, I'm planning to be there. Stephanie and I are going to be there. But not to play golf. I'm going to be there to mess with golfers. And again, we go with our strengths. We go with our strengths. But I realized Alec has been manipulating me because he came in and he said, Dad, I watched this episode. I think you would enjoy it. It's shot in a way that, that's really good. And so just the other night, I think it was Friday night, we were finishing an episode. And I said, you know what, Alec? They're really accomplishing something here. They're making golf interesting. And, and that's what I said to him. It's, when, it's about that time that I realized, he said, you know, I thought that you would appreciate the way that it was shot as a docuseries. And I realized... The gig is up, pal. You've shown your hand a little too much. I've realized now what's happening. Now, of course, he did give me some uh, tips and tricks on how to mess with golfers at the upcoming golf scramble, and, and I look forward to imploring those for the glory of God. But, you know, maybe I'm bringing you a little bit into what goes on in our household at times. And my goal here is not to make it about the imperfect family, just talking about my family. Uh, we are imperfect uh, but we serve a perfect God. We serve a perfect Savior. And so we look to Him in those moments when we're imperfect. For example, the shirt that I'm wearing in our house is known as the farmer's shirt. There's another shirt that is known as the one mom doesn't like. We, family has those kinds of moments. There's almost a, a hidden language that happens in the house. There's, there's those glances across the room. There's the snicker when somebody says the thing that's inappropriate or crosses the line. There's the moment where you just, your eyes roll and you go, here they go again. Family is something that is, well, sometimes it can be hard to define, can't it? There's familiar, familial warmth. There's the Norman Rockwell that tries to paint this image, this picture, almost like we've used here where there's this like idealized family. And yet, how many of us come from a perfect family? Not me. I don't even lead a perfect family. And so in the midst of trying to see what family is all about, we need to understand some things. Like, there's a bandwidth of understanding in the world today, isn't there? there family is either the people that you choose or those you attempt to lose. They're either the people that you choose or they're the people that you try to escape and get away from. Maybe there are times where you're trying to break what might be understood as like generational curses. Maybe there's ways that you're trying to set your family up for success in ways that you've seen failings in the past. 
That can come from brokenness. That can come from sin. That can come from hurt and harm toward one another. We live in a world that is designed and longs for family and yet tries to define it in its own terms. And what we need to realize is that family was created by God. It was instituted from him at the beginning. And so perhaps rather than looking to the wisdom of the world, what we should do is look to his word to understand more about family. Now, if you know Colossians chapter 3, you may be already thinking, oh, I know where he's going. He's going to verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Nope. We're not going there. See, I've been recently reading G.K. Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy. Perhaps you're familiar with that. I came across an analogy for understanding some of the complexities of life. He says it this way. A stick might fit a hole or a stone a hollow by accident. But a key and a lock are complex. If a key fits the lock, you know it's the right key. Perhaps, as Chesterton goes on to explain, we should look to the gospel key to rightly understand the complexities of family. Families are made up of complex individuals. They're made up of complex life experiences, good and bad, that inform responses. There's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of talents, strengths, and weaknesses, all put into one big happy family, right? That's what we're sold in commercial breaks. It's what we're told through editorialization. But in the midst of that, when you add the brokenness of the world around us, when it comes into our own families, when there's sin that compounds the issues that are already there and strengths and weaknesses, it it can cause divisions amongst people. What about perspectives that just differ, but then all of a sudden becomes toxic? You know, the list could go on. It sounds like a, a right mess, doesn't it? But family was created and ordained by God, so we should take care to understand it fully using His word is our guide. We're heading into a series on the imperfect family, our imperfect family. And in the midst of that, we're going to cover some things like uh, next week, we're going to look at what the Old and New Testament, how, how it understands family as a part of the purposes of God and how that's revealed throughout the covenants of the Old Testament and the nation and the tribes of Israel and what that looks like in the new covenant of the New Testament so that we understand family rightly. Then we're going to begin to look at things like children and young adults and the energy and opportunity of youth. We're going to look at the establishment of adulthood. Then we're going to look at the glory of age throughout this series. I think these are wonderful themes for us to look to, but we're not going to examine the family trying to use the world's wisdom. We're not going to try to unlock the beauties of God's good design with the fallenness of the world's wisdom. We're not going to throw a stone of good practices into the hollow uh, in order to understand how families should function. We're going to look to God's word, and so let's do that now, beginning in in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And 
If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and how it instructs our hearts. We thank You for Your Word and how it adjusts our vision Lord, we want to live our lives for your glory. Lord, even as we were just celebrating with those that have served us as a church body in such wonderful and practical ways, they've done so for your glory, but for the good of others as well. Lord, help us to strike that balance, to understand the glory of your good design, and that would compel us for the good of others, those that are around us. Maybe those who have been hurt or are walking through misunderstanding. That we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The first point today is that the church is a family of God's choosing. Now you may wonder, why would you start a sermon series on our imperfect family with the church? Well, the church is actually, the family is actually a metaphor for the church. The family actually points to something that is intended for the church. But you know, we live in a world today that would say, don't refer to your workplace as your family. And that's begun to spill over into the church as well. Don't refer to the church as your family. And what we're doing is we're creating these kind of chasms in our understanding where where we're separating one thing away from another. And what that's beginning to do is erode our understanding. It's eroding our understanding of some things that God has given us as a foundation that we can build our lives on. Now, this is not a culture war message. This is not that kind of sermon. I'm not that kind of preacher, at least not that I'm aware of. But I am aware of this. There is a enemy that we have. It's not my neighbor. It's not the media. It's not the person writing an an article for the Atlantic. My enemy is one who is against not just me, but he is against the ways of God entirely. I have an enemy who is seeking to steal and to kill and to destroy. So if he's going to want to destroy something, it seems to me that something that has been in place since the beginning in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 Well, he would want to start with that. He'd want to have a bullseye on that. Satan would want to have a a way that he looks at the family and just continually tries to erode our understanding of it. But see, the good news that we see also in Scripture is we have an enemy and we know his ways. He wants to take the good things that God has given us and he wants to distort them. And he wants to kind of tear them apart. He wants to, to maybe say, well, don't look at it this way. Look at it this way. Oftentimes, this can actually be something that causes quite a bit of fear in us, isn't it? But you know, Paul is not just writing to a church in Colossae. 
He's writing to you and me today. We are chosen by God. Now, a lot of times, family today will be understood as those that you choose. There there are members of our family that are like this. They kind of have the the key code to the front door at our house. Matter of fact, last night I was in bed and I thought I heard one of Alex's friends' voices down the hall, even though he hadn't been over, and it wasn't unusual to me. It wasn't like, what's Landon doing here? Like something was wrong. All I did was I asked Stephanie, I said, is Landon over? As I'm kind of nodding off to sleep. Because it's, it's not that big of a deal. Landon is like a part of our family. For our family, there, there's others that are like this as well. Where, where this is family that we have decided that's going to be a part of who we are. They're going to be a part of those celebrations and those highs and lows. And they're going to be somebody that we root for and cheer for. But the world takes that to extremes. Because what it says is, is that If I choose you, it means I haven't rejected you. And it becomes that extreme. And yet we realize that that's actually what God has done with his family. It's not what we're called to do with our family, but it's what God has done with his family. The church is the family that God has chosen for himself. So what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with metaphor. We're dealing with these ideas, these pictures that point us to a greater truth. Why is it that God would use the family as a metaphor, as as an illustration for his kingdom? Well, there's union. There's togetherness. There's belonging. Doesn't this this begin to address some of the longings of our own heart? So when God chooses his family, he is providing for us. He is providing something beautiful for us. And as I said earlier, we're going to take a look at this a bit more in the Old and New Testaments. But family is not only established by God, it is utilized for his glory to represent the work of his kingdom. In our more honest moments, could we say that we would have chosen ourselves if we were God? Could we we say that? I'm not sure I would have chosen myself. So before I go looking across the aisle at someone or kind of looking across, which I don't encourage right now, but before I start looking at someone else in the church and saying, I'm not sure I would have chosen them to represent the kingdom of God, how would we even wrestle and reconcile the fact that we were chosen if we're a follower of Jesus? That's a tough question to answer, isn't it? And yet, here's the beauty of the reason that he chooses such a diverse people to reveal how good he is. To reveal the immensities of the good news of the gospel. To help us understand we are living for something bigger than ourselves. We are living for someone greater than we are. Those are magnificent truths, and yet it's contained here in this opening verse of Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. His chosen ones. You know, Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, you may be wondering, Chris, why are you starting with Colossians 3 rather than going to Ephesians 2? It talks about the household of God. Well, we'll get there in just a moment. 
But I want us to understand that the church is not my family. The church is not your family. The church is not a family of someone's choosing on the earth. The church is the family of God's choosing for His glory. Family is defined in a variety of ways. It could be related to a type as in a family of plants. It could be a household and its governance or even a lineage through hereditary lines. But saying that the church is God's family recognizes something about God himself. That he is the source, the head, the originator of our stories as our creator. He is the one that we are designed to live for. Are you walking around life and wondering what your purpose is? You were designed to be a part of the family of God. You were designed, you were made that way. Respond to his call on your life. This would be a call for us to to turn to the one who offers forgiveness. Because what we see in the next verse is that God's family has been brought together at a great price. Forgiveness. It's powerful. It's costly. And at times it's an overused word. What if we step back and understand it better? It's God's nature to delight in giving unmerited favor to those who are undeserving. Just like me. Just like you. I've been reminded throughout the week of the scene in Hamilton. If you haven't seen it, it's not this recommendation or an endorsement. But there is a moment where this choir toward the closing moments of the show, sing the word forgiveness. It's powerful. It's powerful because it's forgiveness of what in a family too often tears apart in adultery. And I think there's a reason that's a powerful moment in that show. How we long for forgiveness. And yet it's a very part of God's nature to offer forgiveness to those who are undeserving. Undeserving of his favor, his merit. See, God's grace towards sinners is found most clearly in the salvation that he's provided through Christ. Because of sin, humanity deserves wrath. We are undeserving of salvation. All of us have turned our backs on God. And as a result, we deserve death. A spiritual death, a physical death, a permanent separation from God himself. But instead of leaving people in their sins, God demonstrates his graciousness by providing the forgiveness and the atonement and the price that we need for our sins through the life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. You know, as a as I've been preparing, I come acro- I've come across an almost innumerable number of resources on how to forgive. Most often they start with how to forgive yourself. Then they kind of lead into how to forgive one another. And then there's language that begins to slip in like how to forgive the unforgivable. Then they begin to describe the mental health benefits of it to you as an individual. Why, why do... Why are we able to talk about these things? Because forgiveness is costly. 
it, it, it's saying, I'm going to give up the control of something that I can hold over or hold against another person. Forgiveness. And, and it's true, there are benefits to forgiveness of one another and for the unforgivable and mental health benefits that can come from that. And from even learning how to forgive yourself. But all of that has to be understood rightly in this, that God forgave us first and foremost. As individuals, forgiveness is difficult to walk through. I don't want to gloss over that. But it's our greatest need in our relationship with God. Everything else flows from the forgiveness that He provides for us. And it's His greatest pleasure to extend it to us. How marvelous is that? How great and how gracious is our God? So it should be clear to us that when we've sinned, when we've transgressed, when we've broken our relationship with God to the point that we need forgiveness from God, He forgives. Not when we get our act together. Not when we're at our best. Not when we think it's the right time. Not even when we've hit rock bottom. It happened when we were dead. It happened when we were dead in our transgression and in our sin. We were dead. That's when it happened. Through Christ, through the cross, secured, he, sec he secured our forgiveness by His blood, bringing us to life again. I've been studying getting ready for Easter coming up. And just how marvelous it is that at one point, Christ's heart stopped beating. For you and for me. And then three days later, it beat again. How amazing is that? He did that to secure your forgiveness. He did that to secure your place in the family of God. That's his divine love. And that's what verse 14 shows us, that God's divine love is what binds us together. Hear the echoes of 1 Corinthians 13 here. We can attempt to do all of the things that we're called to that are described in, in verse 12. Compassion, kindness, forgiveness, humility. But if we don't love as well, If we don't love in the ways that we've been loved, it's going to fall flat. I mean, think about what God's divine love does for you and for me. It chooses us. It adopts us into the family. It calls us from darkness into light. It allows us to repent rightly. It provides us with faith to respond it regenerates us it unites us with Christ I mean just just that truth alone the thought of being a co-heir with Christ a, one who receives of the inheritance that he secured talk about a picture of family it justifies us it gives us Christ's righteousness because ours is not enough. 
This is his divine love. It sanctifies us. His divine love shows us that one day it will glorify us. Do you realize that the 11 things that I just said are key doctrines of the church? Those are key doctrines to the church. They are all fundamental in understanding our own faith and our relationship with God himself. All from divine love. All related to our need for redemption and forgiveness. The church is the family of God. It points us to something beautiful and magnificent. It helps us to understand things rightly as it relates to the world around us. But what it should cause us to do most of all is to marvel that we get to be in this family at all. This is what binds us together as a church family. God's divine love. The love of God shown to us through Christ. Empowered to unify us through the Holy Spirit. All right, so we're part of this family. What next? What next? Well, we're instructed as we're told in verse 16, in the family rules. Now Paul has established the supremacy of Christ and salvation in Christ. And earlier in chapter 3, he turns our attention to the practical implications of what it means to be united to Christ by faith. And he begins by describing what our status is as believers and the servanthood that flows from that status. In this way, the indicatives of the gospel, meaning who we are by the virtue of God's grace, they drive the imperatives for our lives. And what I mean by that is what we should do in accordance with God's word. So we have to have this part right to know how to live rightly. Years ago, I think I may have shared this illustration before, we were in Duffy's with the Kesters and the Staffords and the Jessies. And it was one of those unusual nights when all of our families were together. It's one of my most dear memories with these two families. And probably one of the funnier moments that really only Kagan and Alec got to be a part of. Because that night as I was talking to them, there was not room at the table for the adults' table. And so somehow we thought it would be a good idea to let Kagan and Alec have a table by themselves. I think they were about, what, 15 at the time? So as I'm kind of doing what most dads do in that moment where you're just realizing like you're going to be on your own, I want to remind you of some things. Normally when I'm in that moment, what I'll tell my kids is, remember that you represent someone greater than yourself. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Christ. But in that moment, for some reason, I think it was just in a funny mood, I just said, remember that you represent a family name, Kester's. None of their kids were sitting at that table. I think Kelly might hate this story. I don't know. I'm sure I've shared it before. But we're told about representing a family greater than our earthly family, aren't we? When we walk about and we go about our daily lives, when we are living our lives in our workplace, in our own homes, perhaps when you're on a campus, you are representing someone greater than yourself. Oh, sure, there's a family name that's associated with that. And a lot of times, that's kind of where worldly wisdom will go. You're a Jesse. You're a Stafford. You're a Kester. But there is a name above all other names that we represent. You are Christ's. Live like it. 
That's the call to us as a church today. We are being called up to something. We are being called to live up to the name of the one who gave his life for us. It begins to shift our perspective on all kinds of things, doesn't it? It's not just a set of family rules anymore. It's what governs the kingdom of God. It's what brings him glory in this world. It's what we were created for in the first place. So perhaps you have that longing deep inside of you where you just say, I wonder what it looks like to live for the glory of God. We are instructed in Colossians chapter 3 in what it looks like to live for the glory of God. We're, we're first told we're supposed to set something aside. We're supposed to put something off. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, it says in Colossians 5 through 8. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. We're called to put those things aside. And here's where we're called to live up to something. Verses 12 through the beginning of 13 tell us this. Put on then as God's chosen ones. The holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. This is what it looks like to live as one who is in the household of God. You know, when we read a list like this, it sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful. You ever tried to live it in your own strength? It's impossible. Can't be done. Can't be sustained for any length of time. Perhaps compassion is one of your spiritual gifts. There's a degree to which I envy you, except that's also a sin. See how shot through our hearts are with sin? Perhaps there are some of these things that are just natural to you. Humility or meekness. I've never been accused of either of those things. And do you know the context that helps reveal those things in my heart better than anything else? My own household. My own household. When after months of wearing this shirt is when I found out that the kids were calling it the farmer shirt. That'll humble you. I'm going to keep wearing it to humble them. That's what family does. It reveals our need for a Savior. It reveals our need to experience and encounter the love of Christ all the more so that we can extend that to others. But you know, oftentimes, even with the Kester Stafford Jesse dinner example, Oftentimes, we'll put in a mom or a dad's name as the one who is the head of the household. But there's something marvelous that Colossians 3 reveals to us in the closing passage from our time together today. It reveals that God 
is the Father in this house. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's why oftentimes we close our prayers with, in Jesus' name. Amen. God is the head of the house. You know, our new status for those who have received the good news of Jesus Christ, the new status that we receive in the midst of that is a part of the household of God. It includes things like being raised and seated with Christ at the right hand of God in heaven. It shows us that at the beginning of Colossians 3 and verse 1. Verse 4 shows us that we have certainty of a future state of glory. Verse 11 shows us that we become equal heirs of God's kingdom with all other Christian believers. Verse 13 shows us the beauty of being forgiven by Jesus Christ. You know, there's so many benefits that we already possess tied to Christ's resurrection, to his ascension, his intercession and the glorification that is to come for us. But you know, the blessings of the new age have dawned for you and I right now. We can experience some of those benefits right now. We don't have to just look forward to heaven and say, I'm glad that's secure, but I don't know what to do now. When we are united with Christ, we find ourselves almost as pilgrims, sojourners, walking through life with faith and through obedience. And we know where we're going, but we're not there yet. As Ephesians 2 showed us earlier, we're members of the household of God. And unlike many households or many mansions where uh, you may have these land holdings of old where there's a hallway that's been lined with pictures from generation past of dead heads of the household, the head of this household is very much alive. The head of this household is active. The head of this household is drawing us near to himself. There's a lot of gracious, already not yet blessings that we have as believers. Paul calls on the church in Colossae, the, in this book of Colossians, he, he calls on the church to seek out of gratitude and love for God, to seek the knowledge and wisdom that come from Christ alone, that we might experience the fullness of those benefits today. But Paul also tells us to serve others in a way that fits with what Christ's kingdom is like. And do you know the best context for that servanthood to take place? Your home. I don't care if you're married. I'm not worried if you come from a broken home. This is not about your status as a single. This is about none of those things. The four walls that you go into and is home you can serve those that are there. That putting off and this putting on that happens in the midst of that, this ongoing process of becoming a Christ-like servant, those are important for us to understand. And it's only able to happen because God has given us this new status through Christ, those who are justified. And we have to look forward to being sanctified and one day being glorified with Him. 
But you may wonder, why is it that you didn't start with Ephesians chapter 2? Why, why is it that you didn't start with verses 18 and on in this as it goes on to talk about household and the workplace and interactions with others? Because we cannot continue to talk about the imperfect family. We cannot understand the roles and the God-given design if we don't get this part right. You need to understand the divine love of Christ shown to you through his sacrifice made for you. You need to understand the divine love of God in choosing you to be a part of his family. You need to understand the divine metaphor of family to help you understand all of the benefit and the riches that you have in Christ. You're going to need all of those things empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to do the things that he's called you to in the roles that he's given you. Parenting is impossible without a right identity in Christ. Marriage is impossible without a right identity in Christ. Walking through the hurt and the brokenness of divorce is impossible without the right identity in Christ. Looking forward to retirement is impossible without a right identity in Christ. Seeking to establish a family and a legacy and a heritage and maybe even have a retirement to look forward to in adulthood is impossible without a right identity in Christ. See, Christ is the key to this complex mechanism. He fits it perfectly. But if we don't get this part right, we're throwing stones and we're trying out sticks to unlock what God has for us. So church, let's get this right today. Perhaps you're here today and when you realized we were going to talk about our imperfect family, there was a thought you were going to finally unlock what it means to be a good husband or father, a wife or mother. What it looks like to flourish in your faith as a single, whether that's through a lack of options, through being widowed or divorced, Maybe you're a child whose parents are sitting with you and you are praying that this message would help them to understand how to love you better because what's happening at home right now ain't working. You see it in their relationship with each other and it spills over into their parenting of you. Perhaps the focus of your household has become work. It's become gain. It's become more. It's become words like uber, awesome, epic, conquer. And in the midst of gaining the whole world, your concern is growing that your own soul is what you're losing, as Scripture shows us. Can I tell you this today? We're designed for family. We all long for a well-functioning family. It's at the core of our nature, created by God, no matter your earthly experience with family. But if we don't get this key right about God our Father, the church as His family, putting off the old, receiving the call up to the new because of Christ's work on our behalf. I can give you the best sermon or best illustration on husbands and wives, children and parents, singles, widows, the glory of old age, retirement, and it will come to nothing if we don't get this part right. Our identity as an adopted child of God called into his family forgiven of the things that we're told to put off and empowered for the life we're told to put on. Hear the words what Christ says about that. 
Christ, the one we're united with. Christ, the one that we're co-heirs with. Christ, the one who sent his spirit to empower us. Hear his words about what it looks like to live for him. To be called into his family in John 6, 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, believes in Him, should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. What a beautiful truth. Once you are His, you are in His family, and as a child of God, you will never be lost. You have a day to look forward to at home with him forever. So before we get to any roles, seasons, or stages of life, what this household or that looks like or is supposed to look like, let's start by understanding rightly about ourselves as the individuals who make up natural families on this earth. Because of God's choosing, we're forgiven, welcomed into his family, and shown how to live representing him as our father. Church, can we stand together as I pray? Lord, help us to understand our new identity. Lord, for those who your spirit is moving on right now, where there is a sense of calling to, I, I, I want that. I want that for myself. I want to understand that identity in that way where it it changes my perspective on everything. Lord, help them to respond to you. Even as John 6, as we just read, that they would look on the Son and believe on Him, not on their own understanding, that they would receive eternal life and be raised up on the last day, that they in this instant would be adopted into your family. Lord, as we look forward to the days ahead celebrating Easter, there are so many glorious examples of this. No matter the life that's been led to that point, no matter the wrongs that have been done to them or the wrongs that they've done to others, your truth is big enough to save. Your sacrifice is enough to forgive and bring into union. Father, I pray that would happen in hearts all around this congregation right now. Lord, for those who are hurting because of family, who feel lost in leading family, who are not sure where to turn or where to go because of where life has led them, help them to know they are never too lost for your grace to find them. There's no family circumstance that they've walked through that they cannot begin to show the love of Christ and experience that divine love received from you all the more. Father, for those who are hurting today, burdened for their family, for children, for extended family, lost and alone, help them to realize the mission field that that is that they're called to for a lifetime until you call them home. And Lord, minister to their hearts today as they receive your divine love, as they know the beauty of your forgiveness, as they understand the things that you're calling them to put off and the things that you are calling them up to put on. 
And may they be empowered by your spirit to respond even now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing again.